I'm Jessica Dorr, and you're listening to The Offering for January 2023. I've been writing a lot this season on uncertainty and insecurity and on the simple prayers, I don't know, and I will stay with you. I've been turning to some of the first books that showed me how a book could get you out from a stuck or bad place. I'm rereading Pema Chodron's When Things Fall Apart and a manual for therapists called The Art and Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy by Joanne Dahl and others. I've always liked the sort of straightforward, matter-of-fact way that behavioral therapies approach human experience. The books I came up reading on acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, and cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, describe the interactions between thoughts, feelings, and behavior in such a simple, almost mechanical fashion. I've felt lost and uncertain many times over the years and have found this style quite soothing. As a spiritual person, an ACT manual leaves a lot to be desired in a few key ways, but the reality is that in the times when I'm most afraid— trying to discern my next move and it becomes clear in the unique way that it so often does that I'm not getting through this without some shape-shifting. I'm always glad to have an ACT book with me. ACT is all about change and willingness and getting unstuck. If I need to be a stone flying through the air to cross a river or a salmon, ACT tells me something about how. When I really don't know, I've learned there is a practical way to embody the prayer, I will stay with you which is coming back to my values. In ACT, values are often described using the metaphor of a compass. When I was reading tarot more regularly, I would often draw on the notion of values as a navigation device in my interpretations of the 17th major arcanum. While the phrase values work is a dry way of describing something so rich and magical, it becomes soluble through Pamela Coleman-Smith's genius image of the star. In their book, Dahl and colleagues describe values work as being to do with expanding the opportunities that are available for us to move in ways that are truly vital. They believe we can expand the potential for nourishment and intrinsic rewards that come with our behavioral choices and minimize the amount of time we spend doing things because we feel like we should or are afraid to feel certain things or for whatever other reason. A couple years ago, I read this remarkable interview with philosopher Brian Masumi, who was talking about something similar, I think. He said that uncertainty is empowering because it offers a, quote, margin of maneuverability, end quote. And if we could learn to shift our awareness to the potential inside that margin, rather than only projecting success or failure into the future, we could access Masumi's idea of hope, a quality that is also often linked with the star. For Masumi, Hope involves the, quote, next experimental step, rather than some fantasy of a distant time. Focusing on the next experimental step is neither settling for less nor going for more, rather, quote, it's more like being right where you are more intensely, end quote. So this is another way to think about and talk about values work. It's about locating and broadening your own margin for imminent choices that are gratifying, full of life and possibility. It's about learning how to spend more time in the spaces that you've been too afraid to be in, or to little by little hone the skills you need to go places you wouldn't have dared go before. Put this way, it's an exciting prospect, really. And in some ways, it's actually made possible by uncertainty, because if you were sure about things, you wouldn't be doing this work to begin with. Importantly, Dahl and colleagues differentiate values from goals. While goals involve a degree of certainty around where you're heading and what it will take to get there, values are a bit more vague with a lot of blanks to fill in. 
A value might be something like honesty, solidarity, faith, care, commitment, or creativity. Values are not stories. They don't have a beginning, middle, or end, which I think is what makes them so useful in times that lack substantial or clear meaning. Instead, they're a way to draw out themes based on what's most precious and meaningful. Values ask questions. They invite you to articulate what matters most, what you truly want your life to look like, and what sorts of artifacts, poems, and maps you might like to leave behind. There are obstacles to this work, of course. One, write Dahl and colleagues, is that we're verbal creatures whose minds latch onto things that confuse our sense of true north. We're quick to go astray, become lost easily, and often find ourselves deep in the woods with a weird trick compass whose arrow fluctuates wildly. Another obstacle is that the needs and wants which are most true for us and linked with our core values are sometimes punished or ridiculed when we're young. So as adults, we might be afraid to want or need the things we do because we feel guilty or ashamed. Further, if you live in an environment that aggressively stimulates artificial desires for the sake of economic growth, it's no accident when you're running all over trying to get things that don't do for you what they said they would. And then a lot of us fixate on outcome over process, at least in part because we're brought up in educational systems that emphasize at times arbitrary standards of achievement rather than cultivating interest in the art of learning. From a young age, our attention is diverted from what's intrinsically rewarding, like curiosity, awe, and meaning-making, toward behaviors that are extrinsically or institutionally rewarded. This results in an orientation that often needs some interrogating later on so that we can learn to love a process just as much, if not more, than we love a finished product. Our self-worth, too, gets tied in early with qualities that have little to do with core values. Tons of us believe that if we looked a certain way or had a certain amount of money, we'd be happy, only to find out once we've caught the carrot, if we're ever lucky enough to do so, that it's just a chunk of hollowed-out aluminum spray-painted orange. You don't really need that carrot, so it will never be enough. Obstacles to contacting true values are plenty. But Dahl and colleagues believe that we can learn to maneuver around them once we see them. We don't have to be rich, powerful, or beautiful, or even have access to a wise woman in the woods to get unlost. With a bit of spit and willingness, we can shine and restore a foggy trick compass into one that functions well and points toward a rich and vital path. So here's what they say we should do. First, we should identify our values in a number of life domains, like leisure, intimate relationships, community, and spirituality, and then take some time to consider what the authors call reinforcing qualities in each. So I'll give an example. I value being supportive, and that value spans across multiple domains, including my vocations, intimate relationships, and community. What reinforces me in doing supportive behaviors is the intrinsic reward of feeling connected with others and a part of something greater than myself. There are other things that reinforce supportive behaviors too, but they're less sustainable. For instance, sometimes I do supportive things because I want to feel valued or because I want to avoid feelings of guilt or helplessness. Those kinds of reinforcers are not ultimately what sustains my ability to be supportive because they can lead to compulsive caregiving, overextending, resentment, and exhaustion, which in the long run actually diminish my capacity to live in alignment with the value. 
So once you've determined some of your values and what reinforces you to move in alignment with them in various domains of your life, you can start to look into how aligned your behaviors are with your values in reality. Though I value being supportive across domains, I'm not always supportive. Sometimes painful feelings get in the way, like when someone I'm close to has wants or needs that conflict with my own. Sometimes I make myself too busy to be there for people I care about, or become overwhelmed by difficult situations because I haven't set proper boundaries. So here, I'm noticing where I stop myself from moving into the margin of values-aligned behavior and starting to wonder about how I might be more willing to go there more often. Maybe I need to lean into rest or set better boundaries, for example. The author suggests taking a sort of behavioral inventory to help identify the function of common daily behaviors. So list things you do often, and then place them into one of four categories based on four possible functions that the behaviors might serve. One, avoidance. The behavior helps you avoid feeling lonely or anxious, for example. Two, short-term positive reinforcement or getting a quick fix. Three, Pliance, or doing something because you think you should. And four, intrinsic positive reinforcement, which is, quote, associated with a sense of vitality from living in accordance with a value, end quote. Of course, behaviors can serve more than one function. Taking time to consider the function of common behaviors can give us a better sense of what tends to drive our choices and help us make space to reconsider our motivations if necessary. Maybe a lot of things you do during the day are motivated by avoiding certain feelings, like compulsively checking social media to avoid feeling lonely or by instant gratification. Or maybe a lot of what you do every day is intrinsically rewarding, in which case, right on. And you might notice that much of what you do is related to keeping your body alive. A lot of people who read this newsletter live in America, where people don't have equal or adequate access to housing, healthcare, or nutritious food, and are therefore forced to spend a lot of time working to survive. The authors of the book acknowledge that while some common daily behaviors are not intrinsically rewarding, that doesn't make them wrong. They might still be means to valued ends, like having a place to live or having health insurance, that ideally create a broader margin to maneuver in valued ways but unfortunately, don't always. If you do find that most of your day is spent doing things that serve a function other than that they're intrinsically rewarding, take the time to consider the ways capitalism, as a socioeconomic environment, is hostile to values-aligned living. And once you've taken stock of what you do and why you do it, you can get to work on dreaming. And to me, this is the fun part. What goals could you experiment with that would broaden the margins of what's possible? When you aren't doing things to avoid discomfort or because you feel like you should, but because of the things that you value truly, what will you be seen doing? Choose goals and pursue them. And Dahl and colleagues assert the importance of pausing to evaluate what we're doing so we can course correct when necessary, and it will be necessary. Because values are often conditioned or tainted by social conditions or rigid ideas that we have about ourselves, it's crucial to, quote, experiment with many moves and gather experience in order to be able to discriminate between vital and non-vital, they write. Someone recently retweeted a daily tarot card that I'd posted on February 19th, 2021, that included a quote from James Hillman, which said, quote, the plan is the sensitivity, end quote. And it was paired with a sailing metaphor that Hillman had used to describe the idea that in life, we're never actually on course, we're only ever correcting. 
and he warned against a life spent striving for goals that function more as, quote, guiding fictions, end quote, and uplifted sensitivity to the present moment as a protective charm against that. I think this is what Dahl and colleagues are saying about values work and reassessing and course correcting and also what Masumi was getting at. We're always correcting. It's normal and it's not a failure. To borrow Masumi and Hillman's words, hope lives in our ability to focus on the next experimental step and sensitivity is a solid plan. I hope this is supportive for you as you dream your new year. You're listening to the free monthly offering for January 2023. I make these offerings weekly for paying subscribers for as little as $5 a month or $50 a year. And if you'd like to receive the weeklies, you can upgrade your subscription at the subscribe button in the body of this post. This recording was engineered by Lee Clark, and the music is by Lee Clark. The intro is called Evaporate, featuring Kingsley Ibaniche. You can listen to Evaporate in full and more of Lee's work wherever you stream music or at the links in this post. We'll see you next time, and thank you so much for being here.